On our last episode of Books and Grounds, we briefly mentioned the Underhill Family Orchestra. We are happy to tell you that their new album, Tell Me That You Love Me, is available for download on iTunes and streaming on Spotify. Here's a clip of their song, Nebraska Town. Come on, Westbound, take me home a little while now till I... Thank you for joining us here on Books and Grounds. That clip of Nebraska Town was used by permission from Stephen Laney of the Underhill Family Orchestra, just in case the corporate heads are listening. I'm very excited about our show today. We are covering the book Hatchet by Gary Paulson. And right now we are joined, of course, by my co-host, Jared Carter, uh, broadcasting from Alabama. How are you, Jared? Hey, I'm good. Well, today uh, we're talking about Hatchet. Uh, by the way, we just listened again to Nebraska Town by the Underhill Family Orchestra. That was Jared's pick off the new album. Uh, so, Jared, what do, what do you think about the new album? I think it's fantastic. Like, I was surprised at how how well it recorded. And so I like that they kept some of their old songs, or at least uh, themes of their old songs, and redid a lot of it. But every every song is fantastic. Check out Tell Me That You Love Me on iTunes. Uh, stream it on Spotify. Tell your friends about it. It's a fantastic album. But today, uh, this is Books and Grounds, so we're not going to be talking much more about music except later when we play another Underhill clip. But we're talking about Hatchet by Gary Paulson, which was a book that I had mentioned last time. Uh, but I think first we need to do a little, what do we call it, housekeeping? Yeah. Housekeeping. Uh, what what notes did I have? Jared has our show notes. So what notes did I have on there? Well, um, so we forgot to do our top five books. So let's do our top five books. <laughs> we did. So we we announced last time that we were going to do our top five authors and books and totally skipped books because we got into our authors. So, Jared, you go ahead and, and give us your top five. And I'd say even give us a brief uh, reason why that book is in your top five. Okay. So it's hard to say what criteria I use, but most of these books... I think about a lot, even though it's been a while since I've read most of them. I think about them not every day, but probably every week in some degree. So um, and they're not in any, I guess, real order. But so number five is All the King's Men by Robert Penn Warren. And this is um, a southern novel um, about uh, a guy that follows around this politician um, in Louisiana and just his working form, how he works for him in, in a kind of a journalistic aspect. And then it just follows him doing some kind of shady research to get the politician a leg up. And it follows Jack Burden. And to this day, he's a character I think about a lot. And I would pitch this as a potential movie um, with Matthew McConaughey starring as Jack Burden. Because I wasn't crazy about Matthew McConaughey until I started watching True Detective. Um, And his character on True Detective just reminded me a lot of Jack Burden. Okay, number four, uh, I mentioned this last time, but it's A Prayer for Owen Meany. Um, and this is by John Irving. And it it's if you've ever seen the movie Simon Birch, Simon Birch is to Owen Meany as uh, My Dog Skip is to uh, Willie Morris' book. And so it's it's a horrible rendition of the movie. But the book is... Hey. I liked Simon Birch, <laughs> but it's not true to the the book. It's it's got like the 
basic character, but it doesn't have the depth that the book has. Um, and so, but it does follow this um, very small, not deformed, but very small guy. And he has this fate to save somebody and has this even vision of how he's going to save it. But, but he misunderstands it. And it just kind of follows him into his life because he lives a lot longer than Simon Birch does. He goes into his adulthood and uh, finishes his fate as an adult and not as a child. Very good. So what's up uh, next on your list? Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury uh, follows. It's this futuristic sci-fi book about a guy who's a firefighter, but their purpose now is to burn books in this dystopian world. And it just follows his character as he has this slow reworking of himself to find value in the books after he sees this woman uh, protect her books to death. Like, so she, they, you know, set fire to her home and she stayed there with her books. And so that kind of triggered his, are they really worth it? And then his, his rebellion against the, the current government. My next one is Les Miserables. It is a giant book. But uh, so it's by Victor Hugo, but he has this way of having so many characters, so many characters, but following each one's story to where they all combine into one moment. Is there an abridged version? There is an abridged that version. That does not feature so much about the sewage system there there is and and realistically i think there's one chapter that's like 60 pages of the sewage system of paris my favorite part of that book is when the people start singing look down yeah in the book yeah in the book so number one and this might be my number one but it is harry potter and the deathly hollows really yeah of all the harry potter books that one so i there's two of my favorites, and and I had a tough time deciding which one. Half one blood? was no um, prisoner, prisoner of Azkaban. Azkaban. Okay, there we go. <laughs> so prisoner of Azkaban or Deathly Hallows. The reason I like Deathly Hallows one for its length, and two because it is like a, a post-apocalyptic treasure hunt. Right, so that's your top five. Uh, give a quick recap of those titles again. So all the king's men, Owen Meany, um, Les Miserables, Fahrenheit four fifty one. And uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Very good. Here are my top five. My fifth book, uh, and you'll notice that a couple of these are in um, the same series. So my fifth book would be The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, from the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I I love that book, not because of the movies, but because, uh, which, by the way, if you've never read the book and you've only seen the movies, Pick up the book and read it. It's a lot better. But The Lion with the Witch in the Wardrobe is just one of those books that I've been reading for years and keep coming back to and just absolutely love it. Um, the fourth book, hmm, I've got to think through that. Well, I would say that it's, it's Good Old Boy by Willie Morris. We talked about that briefly last week and had that horrible movie rendition called My Dog Skip, where we declared Frankie Muniz the enemy of the show, which still stands at this moment, still stands. Uh, And so good old boy, again, it it goes back to growing up in Mississippi before I moved to Alabama, Uh, very Southern book. uh, And it just sort of explains almost in my mind, the perfect boyhood uh, of growing up in the South. And so 
That's one, uh, Good Old Boy, uh, A Delta Boyhood by Willie Morris. Uh, number three would be The Fellowship of the Rings, because I love uh, Lord of the Rings and I love Chronicles of Narnia, so you're going to see some more of those. In fact, they're going to round out the, the rest of my list. But The Fellowship of the Ring, uh, I love that one. Um, I love the build-up to the full story of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, I love the background histories and all that kind of th- all that kind of stuff. And uh, so that would be that. Number two uh, would be the Hobbit. I can't believe I didn't put it number one, but number two is the Hobbit. Um, here's the difference between the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. The Hobbit was written for children. The Lord of the Rings was supposed to be written for children. So I got to listen to a class on Lord of the Rings, and this is how he explained it. Tolkien wrote back to the uh, the publisher and was kind of afraid to publish Lord of the Rings because it was supposed to be children's, and he said, it's far too scary. And so The Hobbit is so lighthearted and fun, and there is some scary scenes in it, but that's no different from any normal children's book of any value. Uh, And so then you have Lord of the Rings, which uh, takes it a good bit darker. Um, So I I like the difference there, but I like The Hobbit because I do like to read lighthearted things. When I read, I want to disappear into another world pretty much, just for a little bit. Uh, And then number one, ironically, want to disappear into another world, uh, takes you into a completely different world through a painting. Uh, And so my number one book is The Voyage of the Dawn Treader in the Chronicles of Narnia series by C.S. Lewis, Um, mostly because you're introduced to one of the most annoying characters who truly justifies himself at the end. His name is Eustace. Um, And so I just love that book. So that's my top five. Again, that was, what did I say number five was? I just forgot it. Oh, boy. Was it a... I can't... uh, Oh, was it Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe? Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe, Good Old Boy, Fellowship of the Ring, The Hobbit, and Voyage of the Dawn Treader. So there's my top five. Uh, And something else we forgot... And I'm only going to do the Twitter account for now because we have not bought the um, uh, the domain for our website. So you can click the link. It's a little long. You can click that at our Twitter. But if you will go to at books and grounds, spell out and, you can find us on Twitter at books and grounds. So go there, uh, hit follow. And most people will already be following us if they're listening, but go there, follow us. Tell us about, or tell us about, don't tell us about your friends. Tell your friends about us. How about that? Uh, and so what do we have up next, Jared? We have the good, the bad, and the favorite of Hatchet. The good, the bad, and the favorite. All right, Jared, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to you. Do you want to give them a brief summary of the book and then tell us about your, uh, what you think the good, and the bad, and the favorites are? Okay, sure. So Hatchet is this story by Gary Paulson, and it, it follows a character who's a 13-year-old guy named Brian Robison, um, or Robison, um, and he... Hold on, his, we need to pick one. Which one? Because we're going to say like, that name a lot, I like probably. Robison better. Robison? Yeah. Okay. Okay, go ahead. So Brian Robison gets on this small airplane headed um, across Canada to visit his father, and... Um, and during the flight, they crash, um, and he is the survivor of the crash. And they landed in the middle of the can- uh, Canadian wilderness, and he has to survive. That's the gist of the story. It's very straightforward. 
Um, and so I will go into the good, the bad, and the favorite. So the good of this story is that it is a very straightforward story. It's a, basically a simple tale of how this boy survives in the wilderness. Um, it's very realistic. Um, if you look into Gary Paulson's background, he wasn't ever in like a survival situation like Brian was, but he grew up in the wilderness. He learned how to hunt and fish and um, do these kind of survivalistic um, things in order to just have fun pretty much. And so he professionally, he was involved in a lot of wilderness trades um, and so a lot of the stuff that you see in the story is real life events that Gary Paulson, um, witnessed or experienced. So I have a couple of things that struck me as, as very good in the story. Um, one is Gary Paulson's focus on how a person can be their best asset. Um, he, he, he focuses this on, on Brian as, as Brian is, is seeing what he has when he crashes and he lists out all these things. Um, I can't remember exactly all what they were, but it was, it was the hatchet, his clothes, his shoes, um, matches, uh, his wallet with money and, and things in his pocket. Um, but at the very end, he remembers something that a, a teacher told him. And that is, you are your best asset. You are the best thing that you have. And so I always thought that was a really good thing to, to believe in because it's really true. So they taught self-reliance. Self-reliance. It's just know where your head is. Have a clear sense of, of where you are, who you are, and that's your best way to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, well, on, that I, point, on that point right there, I'll go ahead and include one of my goods uh, because you just said the good thing. Uh, I think my favorite line in the whole book is my name is Brian Robeson, I'm 13 years old, and I'm alone in the Northwoods of Canada. Because what did he do? He, he just psychologically prepared himself to survive by saying, here's who I am, here's my situation. Uh, and so I think you're exactly right, that, that the mental aspect of self-reliance is just as important as the physical and remembering that you are your best asset. So the next thing that I have that Gary Paulson did really well was how he wrote and recorded the change that happened to Brian um, after he saw the um, search plane leave and after um, he tried to kill himself. Just this, the, the change that took place that he couldn't really cut himself, so he wanted to survive. He finally knew that he wanted to survive, and this was a change from planning to be rescued, uh, planning to live there temporarily to a change to planning to live there permanently. And then the final thing I think that he did really well was, was go into Brian's views. And, and this is probably Gary's views as well as to the negative view of the gun and the lighter that he eventually found in the emergency bag. And so after living on the land, after being so close to the land, and doing it the hard way, but the fulfilled way, he sees these the gun and the lighter as um, an easy way to do something, but a way that removes him from the animals and from the land. That seems like that would be one of your favorite parts of the book, <laughs> knowing you. So let me ask you this. On, on that note, um, 
we talked about your book a little bit, Immersion in an American Landscape. Uh, there's a particular part in Hatchet that made me think of your book because he starts talking about after the crash happens, right? The mosquitoes are coming up and these biting black flies. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about these biting black flies and your experience with them? So I don't know what they're called, but I was in Vermont hiking the Appalachian Trail um, and Vermont's included in the section and uh, there are these biting flies i don't know what they call them but they literally are in swarms and they're not like mosquitoes that kind of suck your blood through their like tube or straw or whatever mosquito tubes it's like they rip your (laughs) they they but these black flies they like rip your skin off and then they lick your blood like i don't and yeah I don't, I don't know how it works, but these swarms just attack you and they make you bleed. Like I was dripping blood because of these black flies. Um, and I ran away like with my fully loaded 30 pound backpack with my trekking poles, just kind of in hand, I was running down the trail trying to escape from these flies. And so he goes off in basically fetal positions in a windbreaker. So does that sound pretty accurate then? Yes, it does. Uh, So what other things in, are there things in this that you would say, oh yes, I experienced that. Or are there things in this that you would go, no, not really. Which I know you weren't in a plane crash. You you put yourself in the woods. There's nothing in the book that seems far-fetched. Yeah. Um, so the porcupine thing is real. Yeah. So I never got attacked by a porcupine, but I did. Uh, so there's privies along the trail, and they're just outhouses. There's wooden outhouses. And one day after camp, I just packed up, and I had to use the bathroom really badly. And when I got to the outhouse, there was a porcupine gnawing on the door, like eating the wood. And I tried to kind of shoot away, but it flared up his quills, you know, kind of like get back. And I got back because I didn't want to mess with that. You just went on a tree. I just, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, so that's just something, you know, I've never had this sort of experience. Um, I think most of my camping experiences feature you. Uh, And so, you know, I just don't, I don't have a lot of experience camping unless it's on the farm that I live on. Um, me and Jared have slept in a cardboard box one night, but that's about the most we ever roughed it. Uh, other than one night we we ran from a campsite, but that's another story for another day. Um, so, okay, so the thing that I love, of course, is the simplicity of the story, like you said. And I love anything that has to do with survival, and that may be me trying to live vicariously through someone else. Um but I just really enjoy that. I, I love watching, you know, Bear Grylls. I love watching Survivor Man. I love watching, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Alone on History Channel. Alone is my favorite that survival show. That one is incredible, especially season one. Um, but I absolutely love those kind of shows, and I love those kind of stories. And so that, of course, is what this is all about. And and some of it even brought me back to, I remember when I got a hatchet when I was little and how I felt when I got the hatchet. Now, he didn't feel quite as happy as I did when he got it. He felt kind of foolish for wearing it on his belt. But, uh, you know, I, I loved it. And so there's always been that sense in me of wanting some sort of adventure. You know what I'm saying? That's why I loved your book so much, because I got to have an adventure 
through you. So, um, which again, I put in a, in a blog or a, some kind of note thing that that's not what you want though. You want people to go on their own thing. Um, right. The, the, I guess the takeaway from my book is, yeah, you, after reading, if you want to hike the Appalachian trail, that's fine. And that's good. But do something adventurous. I guess that would be the takeaway that I would want people to get out. Which I thought about. And so uh, one of the things that I'm thinking about doing is, you know, I've always grown up uh, in the middle of town, you know, pretty city oriented, not necessarily big city, but I thrive in places like Mobile and I love places like Atlanta. And so I thought about doing immersion in an American culture. Uh, but that would have to feature you so I don't get sued by my yeah. best friend. Um, but no, I'm seriously, I'm thinking about doing a, a blog called the Southern native that takes you through what, you know, the culture of the South. That's what I'm used to. I mean, I grew up in Mississippi and Alabama and now live in Georgia. So I've got some experience in, in differing Southern cultures that, show people were not just, you know, people riding around in, on mules. Right. Yeah. You know, so, they, have, they have dirt floors. Yeah, and, they have dirt floors <laughs> and that, you know, everyone no assumes a lot of things about the South. Now, Mississippi, no shoes, you know, that's that's their thing. But um, I seriously did not wear a lot of shoes in Mississippi. <laughs> uh, but some of the things that I felt were not negative per se, just I don't know if it's just I've matured in my reading or what, but... Um, the way he phrases some things, I don't want it to be negative and I don't want to turn people off from reading. I'm trying to find the exact phrasing of one of them, but he says like the word, he's talking about the plane. Where is that? Sorry, everybody. I'm flipping through my book right now. Uh, I, and I think I'm on the same page with you. As, do you know as what I'm talking goes. about? Yeah. And so this is kind of getting into the bat of this segment, I guess. Yeah. And so one of my things, as far as his writing style goes, it's repetitive and it's repetitive on purpose. Yes. So he repeats words, you know, one sentence after the next um, for emphasis. I was about to say for a middle schooler. Which is the intended audience, right? I mean, he. Right, this is a, it is. This is a middle school so. book. I read it first in fifth grade. When I hear Hatchet, I immediately think of like pizza, uh, dysentery, and because of Oregon Trail and <laughs> and all of those things that you know. This is one of those things that makes up elementary school for me. Is Hatchet, and, and part of the good is that it. I mean, it's still taught in middle school. Yeah. And but because it, it ages very well um, and because it's so simplistic, so straightforward, and it really just is set in the Canadian wilderness, which really just doesn't change. Yeah. And so it can be taught year after year because it ages very well. So Hatchet is timeless. Um, but the particular line is actually on page one. Uh, and I'm sitting here flipping through a book trying to find it. It's on page one. It was a small plane, a Cessna 406, a bush plane, and the engine was so loud, so roaring and consuming and loud, that it ruined any chance for conversation. So he says loud twice. Yeah, and he does that a lot. He does. And so after a while, that got to me, but that still doesn't take away the love for the book. Um, And then he had some things in it that... Uh, 12-year-old he giggled at a lot, um, the way he, see, so the way he, he phrased things. 
Well, he knows his audience. I mean, he, he has does. to know his audience. And so, and I think he does this on purpose. So let's just go ahead and talk about it. Okay. You're referring to the death of the pilot. I'm talking about the fart attack. The fart attack. <laughs> okay. So, so yeah, he, he does go into some detail. He does. So, so the way the, the, the crash, the way the crash happens is the pilot actually has a heart attack while he's flying and one <laughs> and of you the called it the fart attack <laughs> one of the symptoms especially in this book is that Brian just keeps smelling him fart and he's trying <laughs> to kind of ease the embarrassment of the pilot by not saying anything but he keeps smelling it and it gets worse and worse and and, and this is a middle school book and so you got to know that the boys especially the boys reading this story are laughing at the pilot having a heart attack and you gotta know that i was one of those boys laughing the whole time i was reading the book and so part of me wonders that he did this on purpose just to kind of lighten his death because Hmm. he does die he does die i did not think about that but the thing i found funny is that the pilot while while brian's way of lightening it up was not talking about it he just endured the smell which is the polite thing to do. Right. Um, the pilot kept going, oh, I don't know what I ate. <laughs> Must have been my dinner. You know, it just, so he's acknowledging it had to be bad enough for the pilot to, to go ahead and just have to recognize it because it was so bad. Um, but that, that definitely was one of those things that if you were to add, or if you do ask me, uh, you know, after all these years of reading Hatchet, what is the most... Uh, the the point in the book that you remember the most, it's that. It's the plane yeah. going down with yeah. the pilot farting the whole way. There's some things he goes into that I don't think need as much description as he's giving. Um, like, like, okay, again, this is two of those things. It was wind. <laughs> wind like the sound of a train. With the low belly roar of a train, it was a tornado. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. The roar of a train meant bad wind, and it was coming for him. God, he thought, on top of the moose, not this, not this. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, if you have no context, all you know is he's he's in a tornado on top of a moose. So. Yeah. <laughs> and my favorite, my favorite part of that is at, at, when it's over, he says, I hope it got the moose. <laughs> so you see, we, we like these things. We laugh at these things, but those are things that they're not problematic. It's just something I've noticed as I've gotten older that maybe I would have written it a little bit differently, but I'm not Gary Paulson. No. Uh, and he goes back and forth between his narration voice with that repetitive and, and to, Robison's Robison's thoughts. Robison, yes, Robison's yeah. thoughts. And I and, like and, that. And it's like, so you do get the the train, the train, the wind, the wind, the train, the wind, the train, the tornado, and then you get <laughs> on top and of then a you moose. Get, and then you get. I wish it. I hope it got the moose. I hope it got the moose. Uh, all right. So now that we have our summary and our analysis I've of got, it, you got, I've more? got one more. I've oh, got sweet. one more bad thing. And so, oh, no. Well. <laughs> I, th- I think the, the, the understory could have been stronger. So there's this understory of his the parents secret? getting a divorce because of the secret. Let me ask you this. Do you think that part was necessary? I don't think it was necessary, but I do think it could have been a better story if he had made it stronger, a stronger motivation for Brian or a better story. Yeah, I, it, it seemed to me... 
to be just something to get him in the plane. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, which I, I'm sure if you if you notice the thickness of the book for a middle schooler, that's a pretty thick book. Like it that's, is. Yeah. And so had he gone further and further into that, I think it would have actually lost some of the um, not nostalgia, but some of the meaning to me. Yeah, it would have it, lost it's it. like. The, the survival story could have stood on its own. Exactly. Like, I, I would kept, when I was reading it, I was like, why did he put and, so and much emphasis like, on the secret? Yeah, it's like he, he just felt like he needed some kind of other story to go along with, so he plugged that in there. Yeah, he could have just said, my parents got divorced, uh, me and mom are having a rocky relationship, but I'm going to visit my dad, plane crash. Yeah. You know, but he kept doing the, the secret dash. Or, or this could have been another strand of survival that Brian was undergoing that could have had more weight to it, but it didn't. That too. It could have. So you could be having a metaphorical, uh, you know, internal survival along with the external survival. But, uh, but no, he didn't go into that. So, you know, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. But so what did we have next? We had our... So we're transitioning now from the story itself to what? Right. So we have the good, we have the bad. Do you have a favorite moment in the book? Oh, the Just plane the, crash. So the plane crash is your the so, farting, the farting pilot. So, you can't okay, beat that. So I don't know. This this one stood out to me just because I I felt things like this on the trail, and that is the the way or what triggered his memory of the skunk coming in so skunk came in and sprayed him and he thought he was blind but what triggered it was that months later he had a whiff of the faint smell of skunk and he almost smiled about it yeah <laughs> yeah and so it's do, like, you, do you see black flies and start smiling about it no no <laughs> but it's just that kind of idea of you know, you, you survive your mistakes and you, you do have, I guess, kind of a sense of nostalgia for surviving it and learning the lesson the hard way. Well, I think that goes for a lot of things in life anyway. Any difficulty you come through, you can look back on it and say, I, I thank God for that, you know, whatever. Um, a lot of difficult things I would never trade for anything, even though I had to go through them. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think that's a that's a good thing to bring from that book. And that's a good... Um, I mean, that's something I would have read over and not thought about it. Right. You know what I mean? All right. So what do we have next? So if we were in a survival situation, <laughs> what three things, not including books, but what three things would you bring with you? Because we're going to do books after that. Right? We're going to do books afterwards. What three things. Let me, let me let me go first. And I want you to critique my three things. Um. Just because you've done this. So I want you to be like, you would die if you took that. Um, so I would, I don't care what he says about matches or lighters or whatever. I would take one of those, what's the little uh, flint thing? Yeah. What's yeah. that called? Let, let's just say it's a fire starter of some fire yeah. starter. I it would take name, that. Yeah. Um, and the reason I would take that is because it doesn't require fuel. Um, so yeah, right. you could keep using it over and over, which, of course, I was taught younger um, that you could find rocks with flint in it and do that sort of thing. But it just seems a lot easier with that. Um, so I would take that. Um, I would probably take, 
<laughs> I want to. Can I cheat a little bit? <laughs> like cheat. a case of duct tape. <laughs> um, a case. Of a duct- whole case of duct tape. <laughs> can that count? Or do I need to only take one sure, roll? Sure. Sure. Let's go with no, a whole case. I'll do one roll to be fair. So one big industrial roll of duct tape. Um, I would take that because uh, I would use it to fashion a shelter. Uh, I'm not very good with knots. And so I would just do that and hope that it stands. Um, and then, hmm, am I near a lake? <laughs> let's, let's assume that we are where Brian is. Okay, so we're, uh, do I want to eat a fish out of a lake that has a dead guy in it and fuel? Yes, and, and those fish have eaten the dead guy. Okay, so I'd take a 12 gauge um, And that includes the shells So take away my case of duct tape Put the shells with the 12 gauge I'd take that in order to hunt Now, do you think I would die? No, I'm Well no, I don't. I don't think so. But I, I do think y'all, the duct tape, y'all can't see Jared's face right now. <laughs> anyway, what I, I do think the duct tape is a mistake. That's the only ah. thing. That's the only thing. So because what if. OK, so you build your shelter. The duct tape gets wet. It loses its stickiness. And then you does duct tape lose stickiness? Yes, it does. Or it gets dirty and loses its sticking, like dusty, dirty, and loses well, its stickiness. I'm an amazing duct taper, though. So, um, anyway, okay. Right. So duct tape mistake. So, so, so Mr. What, Outdoors, what are get, your three? We repeat your three real quick. My three was the Flint fire starter. Okay. Um, duct tape, and I'm gonna take. You know what? Forget that. I'm taking away duct tape. I'm putting in just a lot of paracord, okay. uh, and then some paracord and um, a twelve gauge. <laughs> okay. So here are mine. Mine is like uh, I haven't decided either a hatchet or a machete. Probably a machete. Yeah. Um, and and there are those machetes that have like the serrated edges on like the back, and they also have wrapped around the handle the paracord. Paracord. Stuff. There you go. Yeah. So, so, so the Bear Grylls so machete Bear Grylls is what hatching. you want. Or machete, yeah. And then a fire starter. And, well, yeah. So then a fire starter. And for my third one, I, I have two that I'm still a pot. Cause, oh, yeah, cooking pot. So because you have to boil your water. What are you going to boil your water in? And I really don't know how Brian did this because it really a doesn't duct tape say. Bowl, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh. So, so I don't really know how Brian got his water unless he just drank from the lake the whole time. But didn't he get really sick from he, that? He did. So, so that, maybe that's a, maybe, maybe that's a loose end that we found. Uh-oh. So, but from watching alone, the fishnet. Oh yes, dude. Well, I saw one guy not even use a fishnet. He just like dug a hole. Yeah, and, and so, made some sort of little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Entrapment. Yeah. So, him. so mine would probably be the machete, the fire starter, and the pot. Well, that's good. That's a good list. And so, basically, if we were to survive together, we would make it all of two weeks. Yeah. Uh, or you would make it like 
six months. I would make it two weeks. So if we're ever in a survival situation, just go on ahead and you feel the desire that you need to cook me after I die. That's fine, <laughs> buddy. I want you to live. Um, and so, <laughs> so now we go on to books. What two books would you take? So my first book would either be, it would be a survival guide of some sort. So if we had to divide it between topics, I think I would rather have a edible plant book over a general survival, like an army survival book, because you can die if you eat the wrong plant. Mm -hmm. So probably edible plant. And then if I'm going to be there for a while, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Okay. (laughs) Because here's what I learned on alone. You can survive, like you can have the skills to survive, but there's some point that you just go nuts because you're bored. Yes. You've got to do something with your brain that's productive. Yeah. So should I Jesus juke you or should we leave the Bible out of it? You can Jesus juke all you want. No. Okay. Assuming that you can take the Bible with you, here are the next two. Um, Let's see. I actually like your idea about edible plants, but I don't want to take that. So uh, I would probably have some sort of book that teaches you how to make shelters. Um, Because if I could find myself wasting time on something that you have little of when you're in a survival situation, it's building a shelter. Yeah. Uh, And I want to be guarded from the rain, from animals, from all of that. Uh, I'm not bad with fires, so I would say I want... Uh, Which, by the way, Jared is the one who showed me how to make good (laughs) fires. Um, I I would want something on building shelters. Um, My weak point with just the edible plants would be like animal traps because I I don't know how to do those. Hmm. You know what? I think I would also take a book called Animal Traps. But the survival Uh, guides, like the Army Survival Guide, has a has a like building shelters, animal traps, like rope knots and stuff like that. I tell you what, I'd take that then uh, that has just the general overview. Um, I think if it came down to me just needing to eat edible plants, I'd rather die. (laughs) Um, So then, the other book for the mental side of it. I think would probably be uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Uh, because like you said, that that's a big part of it is you need to check out mentally at times yeah. in order to maintain sanity. Um, and so I need to be sane. So the, I think the Bible and the Voyage of the Dawn Treader would help me yeah. out with that. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to say the Bible is uh, on an app on my phone, and somehow I've – this is so far in the future, we have solar battery chargers. Right. Um, and so, of course, uh, so that's just on an app. So that doesn't count as a book. <laughs> so what do we got okay. after that? So that's our survival. That's our stuff. survival stuff. And so let's do this real quick. What order would you do things in to survive? Um, what order? Yeah. So so let's talk about um, food, water, fire, shelter, you know, that stuff. So what in order? The first, the first thing I'm doing is either fire or shelter. Yeah. Um, so let's assume that I've crashed in a plane. It's daylight. It's morning. I really want to get a shelter built. Um, so I want to get that done pretty quickly, uh, even if it's just a temporary one to get through that first day. Right. So I go and build that shelter, and then immediately I want to find dry wood and build a fire because food and water 
in any survival situation, if I'm understanding correctly, are no good without that fire. Right. Uh, and so I want to have something to boil the water in because I do not want diarrhea and then get all dehydrated. The more dehydrated, and die. yeah. Uh, and then I want to be able to cook food. I want to boil things for safety. Uh, and so I, I would go with shelter, then fire, then uh, then probably water, and then food. Because I think I could, I could personally survive a lot <laughs> longer without food than without water. I would do, I would do the exact same thing. So it would be temporary shelter, Ooh, I can survive. fire, water, food, and then once you eventually get, build a right, yurt, and then eventually build a more permanent shelter. Yes, that oh the yurt that one guy built on that first season of Alone, I would have stayed in like paid to stay mm-hmm. in. It was so good. Then he built himself a ukulele. Yeah, and I was like that. He went. Dude, he could, went a little nuts though that. too. He did. That's why he didn't win. But he was very close. Yeah, very close to it. Now the guy who won, he ate that mouse. <laughs> he did. Um. Uh. Uh-uh. But nope. but just like the turtle legs, right? I mean, you you got to do something. Uh, mm. Uh, no. Turtle legs, uh, you, so you wouldn't eat the I, turtle I would, legs. Yeah, turtle legs. I'd eat frog legs. Mm. That count as long as I had batter. <laughs> do we do <laughs> we have batter in a survival One of your situation? Survival <laughs> items is batter. <laughs> <laughs> a big bag of all-purpose flour. Um, that'll do. It. That's my pillow plus my batter. Um, so you said the same order. Uh, did we have anything else in that? Yeah, we did. Uh, the character. Yeah, let's do that. So. What fictional character, if you were replacing Brian Robeson, um, give me a fictional character. I'll give you a reason why or why not they were surviving. I'll do that for you. Okay. So how many you want to? How many you want to do? I, I can do three. You want to do three each? Three. That's fine. Yeah, I think that's a good number. Okay. You go first. <laughs> Ron Weasley. Ron Weasley. Um, which Ron Weasley? The Sorcerer's Stone do, or Deathly Hallows? Let's do Sorcerer's Stone. Ron Weasley. Heck no, he survive. Um, he couldn't keep up with that rat. You know, I mean, he got bested by a chocolate frog. I don't think <laughs> the boy would survive in the wilderness. So I'm going to go with uh, with Sorcerer's Stone, Ron Weasley. No, so you Deathly Hallows, Ron Weasley. Yes, yes you don't even definitely. think Sorcerer's Stone, Ron Weasley could like just um, his innate magical ability would wouldn't save He's, him. He sucked at magic. Like his, so uh, you wasn't you're right. that great. All you, ha- all you have to know as a wizard to do is to create a fire and to magically like move stuff to build and, and say, what is that? Asio raspberries or fish or whatever. <laughs> but he couldn't even do that at year one. Shelter <laughs> Um uh, No, um, no. Year one, he would have gone to light a fire and blew himself up and died. So um, I'd say no okay. on Weasley. Let me ask you one. Um Eustace from Voyage of the Dawn Treader, would he be able to survive? So is this pre or post dragon? Let's do pre dragon where he's just a little jerk. Pre dragon, he would absolutely not survive. He would he <laughs> would just wallow after the crash until he died. Yeah, looking for mom and right, dad yeah. to come and save him. So he would be completely useless. Useless Eustace. Useless Eustace. All right, go ahead. Okay. Um, Jay Gatsby. Okay. Gatsby. Hmm. I don't know. Oh, gosh. Okay, so he's super rich. Yes. Um, Pre-survival situation. 
does he have any expensive contraptions that he's got? No. Let's just say he crashed and, into a with a fancy jet, but the fancy jet is just gone. It's under the lake, and he has nothing but what Brian has. I don't think so. Um, most of his, most of the awesomeness that is Gatsby is his money, right? Uh, and right. stuff that come along with it. So I don't think so. I think, and that, so he has this mysterious, farewell. yeah, he has this mysterious past that might be able to help him. But at the same time, he, he might be some kind of marine. We don't. At know. At the same time, though, he's so like romantic and idealistic. That I think that would hurt him in the wilderness. So if he were to survive today, he would take whatever battery was left on his cell phone and just do selfies with a cool <laughs> filter. With a Try, good filter still, on still it. trying to impress the girl. Yeah, still trying to impress the ladies. So a no on Gatsby. Um, Frodo Baggins by himself. Hmm. No Sam Ganji. Uh, just... Frodo. Just Frodo. So I feel like being a hobbit, he could probably find some mushrooms to, to eat. And yeah, some some, and some could, edible plants to eat. And and, and he could get through the woods quietly. He, he could, and he could probably catch some fish, but he just sometimes he just seems so helpless. Especially without uh, yeah. Sam. So helpless. So let me add this movie Frodo. Movie Frodo. Probably not. No, he'd fall everywhere. Book Frodo, because <laughs> Book Frodo's older than Movie Frodo. He is. Um, so Book Frodo probably would survive, but Movie Frodo would not. Yeah, Movie Frodo's out. Your turn. All right. This is probably going to be an easy answer, but it'll be fun. And these are together. Like, if these were together, Romeo and Juliet. No. <laughs> easy no, right? They would not survive. <laughs> they couldn't even survive their little 13-year-old love. <laughs> Uh, they couldn't even get the plan correct. Yeah. Like one, no, one would, survive. one would have like been knocked out by something. And the other one would be like, "Oh, he's dead. I've got to kill myself." Well, you can't live on what they would be doing in the woods, and so well, no, they would not. <laughs> no, they would not survive. Okay. Plus, again, you notice like most of our people that we're talking about is can this affluent person make it That's in the woods? True. Uh, so, <laughs> so no, I don't think Romeo and Juliet would survive. Um, I got one more. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One more. Hmm. That the girl from Scarlet Letter would survive in the wilderness. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I, I no, let's know. not do that one. What about like uh, Don Quixote? Have you read that? See, I'm, I'm, I haven't, so I, I couldn't you tell haven't? you. But would he? I mean, would he just imagine his way out of it? Would he just have fun with the whole thing? <laughs> I think. Well, I think he'd think he was on a mission yeah, that a knight right. was sent so on. And maybe he would. I think he'd be valiant. He'd be valiant. And he'd survive, and people would look at him and say, "How in the world did that happen?" Yeah. Because I think Don Quixote is a lot like Creed Bratton. <laughs> From the yeah. office, just in a knight's yeah. uniform. So if you took Dwight and you took Creed and you put them together, you have Don Quixote de la and, and that would, they would survive. Definitely. <laughs> definitely would survive. Yes. With, with Dwight's bear skills and Creed's weirdness and ability to sprout mung beans, they would survive. So what's our next portion here, segment? Well, that's all I have. Is that all we have? Um, all right. 
All right, then what we're going to do now is we're going to close out with a clip uh, from Wood Hymnal in C by the Underhill Family Orchestra. And remember, you can purchase that on iTunes uh, or stream it on Spotify. And that album is called Tell Me That You Love Me. Uh, Thank you, Jared. And we will see you guys on episode three. So